It's exciting opportunity to gain knowledge you can utilize for the rest of your life. Seating is limited. To register or for more information about the festival, please visit sunvalleywellness.org. Marie and Dr. Sheila Dunmerit will conclude their Healing From Within workshop on June 5th. They'll be discussing the hormonal system and its relation to joy and balance. Come learn how you can allow the sweetness of life into your being. This exploratory process will delve deep inside your body, addressing topics such as the adrenal glands, the thyroid, ovaries, hormones, and the pancreas. Join Marie and Dr. Dunn Merrick for an energizing afternoon on Saturday, June 5th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Redmond Town Center Marriott. You'll be happy you did. Seating is limited. To register or for more information, please call Dr. Dunn Merritt's office at 425-452-9366 or visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com. Register early to receive a discount on the class. Call or get online now. Welcome to the Marie Manucherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 16 years of professional healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My medical background combined with intuitive insights and skill in moving energy have been a catalyst for transformation in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. everybody, and welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. I'm Marie, and we are live here where energy and medicine meet. And we have a phenomenal guest here today also on the show. She's just going to be calling us back as we just had a momentary technical glitch here on where energy and medicine meets. And so as she's getting ready to reconnect with us, I'm just going to talk a little bit about lovely Lisa Oz. So Lisa Oz is a producer, a writer, an actress, and a frequent co-host of the Dr. Oz Show on Oprah and Friends. Yes, this is Dr. Oz's wife, yeah, and her new book, Us, is hysterical. I don't know if she actually meant it to be super funny, but I thought it to be um, very human and natural appeal of understanding how daily life exists for all of us. Uh, she also, um, Lisa, co-authored five New York Times bestselling books, including You, the Owner's Manual series. She is president of Ozworks LLC and Media, an investment co- consulting company that she founded and directs Pine Room Pictures. Um, she also is the mother of four children. And, uh, and of course, um, what she says at the back of her book, what I think is adorable, um, that she's somehow unable to organize her closet or stick to a diet. And that's pretty much how the book goes. It's funny. It's humorous. Um, it's, uh, it's real. And I, I think that when we're working on spirituality, um, then reality is very important because we're all trying to grow in that direction. So welcome, Lisa. How are you? I'm great, and thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. And you're calling us all the way from New Jersey, correct? I am. Yeah. And in fact, I read a little piece um, in the book. Of course, it is very funny. Hats off to you for bringing all that humor across. I think it'll help people then feel more motivated to do the exercises that you have in the book. And as for all of the listeners, and I know I speak of you a little bit from what you said to Lisa in the book, that some of us are addicted to self-help books. So um, exercises are always fun. (laughs) (laughs) At least some of yours are. They're really, really interesting and easy. But um, I know recently, at least before uh, Dr. Oz moved you know, started the show, you were going to have to move. And yeah. uh, you're talking in the book about letting go of detachment or letting go of attachment, I should say, learning to detach. And, uh, and that's kind of what the book is about. There's personal, beautiful, interesting stories about family and life that all of us can relate to in some way. And then how you got around it. 
So were you just, you've been writing for a long, long time, correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, I'm not, I would not say I'm a natural writer. Um, I am, I am a talker. And so what I like to write are screenplays because it's a lot of dialogue. Um, and this book ended up being a conversation with the reader. So it, it got much easier, but it was, it was, I, when, you know, with the U books that I've written with my husband, we have a ghostwriter for those. So the the grueling, you know, blood on the keyboard (laughs) was not mine (laughs) with those books. Uh Um, but the reason I wrote the book the way I did, because, because it was not the book I intended to write, I set out to write a much more academic, um, uh, typical spirituality type book where, um, I was going to prove how brilliant and deep I was. Um, and, and that book was not going to be written and utterly refused. Um, so I finally came to the conclusion through conversations with friends that what I needed to do was um, understand that, that us, the title, doesn't just refer to the relationships I talk about in the book, but also refers to the relationship that I was creating with the reader. And if I didn't allow myself to be vulnerable and put myself on the page, then we couldn't be friends and we couldn't have a relationship and they would never see themselves in my stories if I didn't share myself. So that was why it ended up being the way it did. Well, congratulations. I think it's it's very well written and I think that that means this vulnerability that you described, it's a, it is you being deep. That's pretty deep when you can be honest with yourself and stand up there somewhat naked for many, many thousands, millions of people to potentially, you know, read about you and also teach at the same time. So, yeah, it's it's really beautiful. So in the in the very first chapter, because we're just going to talk about the book and you and all these okay. wonderful things, um, you talk about you, you know, as the individual, as the reader, you know, helping them to understand that they aren't the things that they think they are like their careers or their weight or height or their gender, that there are many things beyond those things. Well, we, we do identify, and I say we because I do it too, and, and that was one you know, way to preface this entire conversation and the book. I have not figured it all out. I do not have a perfect life. I do not behave perfectly. So everything I talk about in the book is stuff that I'm working on myself. And I know that the ideas are... are um, are good and true, and applying them will make your life better. And I'm trying to do that myself, but I have not figured it all out. <laughs> but um, with with um, our identification and and with the ego and believing us ourselves to be something other than our true self or our essence um, does nothing but cause a lot of anxiety, competition, frustration, um, and so. Part of what I set out to do in this first chapter was to just help people see that they aren't who they think they are, um, and or we aren't who we think we are, because I think we realize that as we go through life and all the things that we've attached to, whether it's our looks or our financial situation or our opinions, tend to fall away as we move through life, and yet we still are who we are. We still are our essence. And, you know, if you... if People who've had their, you know, had lost their hair due to cancer, and have always thought of themselves as someone with like great hair, um, still know that they know that they are still who they are. So one way you don't want to have to lose something to understand that who you are. So um, what I talk about in the book is are ways exercises that I came across. There were ways of of finding out 
who we are at our core. I know, and I love the observation deck. That's one of my favorite exercises of all time, something I've been doing you know, for maybe over a decade. And, and I loved how you described it. I've never heard it called the observation deck, and I think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and how you said, you know, a particular time a day for a particular amount of time and just also recognizing that you will be anxious, that it may not be comfortable, but all of that is profound and ultimately can lead you towards what we're all wanting um, is change. Well, it's actually kind of an interesting experience because the way I talk about it is in traffic, when a car pulls in front of you and cuts you off, you get angry, your blood pressure spikes, you want to yell at them. I occasionally raise a middle finger, do bad things. (laughs) But if the car swerves in the other lane into a car next to me and cuts off the car next to me, I can say, my gosh, that's a bad driver. But I don't take it personally. It's not an an assault on, on my very being. And so when you can start to have that same ability to observe without emotional reaction in your own life. Um, and you just, with the exercises, you just start trying to practice it. And, but at this point, I've, I have been working on it. Again, it's not something that comes easily to me. But, but it's fascinating when I'm mm-hmm. in the middle of a, of a fight, an argument, <laughs> right. a stressful situation, to be able to hear this voice in my head saying, is that what this is really about? <laughs> you know? And, and that's when the, the choice comes in, right? And which, you know, the next chapter is all about change, which then allows us to have more choice. But, and I, of course, I don't mean to speak for you, but is that what you feel like when you're in that moment, you hear that voice say, is this what you really want? And does that provoke perhaps an opportunity? Well, I, I, I think so, because I think mm-hmm. as long as we're um, completely entrenched in our egos, we don't hear that voice. And we defend whatever it is that we're feeling, that emotional response, that opinion, that thought. We defend it with our lives because we think it is our lives. So we, we can't change as long as if there's a behavior that is hurting us or hurting our relationships, as long as, as we identify with that behavior and we think it's part of who we are, we cannot change. So I think the first step in any kind of change is to separate the identity from the behavior. And also to realize that, you know, you, you don't, you do have a choice and that voice allows you to have a choice because you don't have to be highly reactive. You don't have to allow your circumstances to determine your response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause one of the things she point out is that we all want change and we have great ideas about what that change is supposed to be, but we have a very difficult time actually making the change so that we can have new experiences in our life. Well, part of it, I think, is that we're not really in touch with what's going on. We live on the surface of our emotions and our reactions and our thoughts, and we spend very little time asking what this is really about. Where, what, what am I actually feeling? What do I really want? Um, you know, what's the big picture here? And, and I think that part of that in, is the admission that our, a lot of our negative behaviors that we say we want to change we benefit from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to lose 10 pounds, you know, at least. <laughs> and yet there is a benefit to the way that we eat. It's for me, it's it's the drug of choice. It's the numbing <laughs> agent. It's the it's the way to self-soothe. So there is a benefit as long as you deny the benefit and just say this is a bad behavior, I need to change it, it won't change. You you can't change until you find another way of addressing that fundamental need that you're addressing through negative behavior. Well, you know, you're obviously an incredibly bright, experienced woman in your young years of life. And when I was reading the foreword, I chuckled a little when your husband said that he 
originally thought you were writing this book for him. <laughs> and, you know, it's the, the crib notes for him because he hasn't always listened or been present when you've given him wonderful healing advice. And so now he can, you know, take the book to bed, I would imagine, and, you know, catch up. <laughs> no, he, he actually does listen very, you know, he's yeah. very, he's the most curious, um, intellectually, uh, adventurous person I've ever met. He really is mm-hmm. open to anything, you know, even stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, like we'll, we've been to India and seen bizarre healing um, practices, and he, it's all fascinating to him. So right. he says he doesn't listen. It's just because he doesn't always do what I tell him. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he listens. Oh, that's really great. So back to the topic about suffering, you know, because yeah. um, I thought that was a really phenomenal chapter. It is true uh, that suffering leads us to a deeper connection with ourself and ultimately the divine, you know, in the celebration of whatever conclusion we've come to through the suffering that we've gone through. But it's not something that we are educated about. You know, it's not something that we learn uh, necessarily through even educational process. It's something that we do everything we can to avoid. But yet many times uh, things happen and we can't avoid them. Right. Now, I, I think that suffering can lead us mm-hmm. to a place of, of deeper understanding and integration with ourselves and with the divine, and yet it doesn't have to. Ah. It really is how, how we approach it, because certainly there are people who have become worse because of their suffering, who have become bitter, full of hatred, um, angry people who, and who, who haven't seen suffering as a, an opportunity for growth. But I don't think that suffering ne- necessitates that path either. I think suffering is an opportunity um, to either, beca- because it is a, it, it, it's a, it's a, a severing of, of ourselves from those attachments that we talked about earlier um, in any, in any way, um, and yet, and so, and so we can become more in touch with our true selves, and we can become deeper, wiser, um, more whole people because of the suffering. Um, but that's our choice, too. I mm-hmm. always, I think that the one thing that we always have in this life at every point is a choice. Is, are, am I going to grow in this experience, or am I not going to grow in this experience? Right, right. And of course, in that observation deck is maybe where you get to see a little bit more of potential choices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you, throughout the book, you talk about your weight, um, but on the cover, um, you look stunning. Uh, it is neck up. <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> okay. Well, you look absolutely stunning. But I do find it humorous. And, and also, it is something that m- more women than men tend to be more conscientious of and, and even over. Uh, we pay too much attention to our weight and our body, you know, in unhealthy ways, I think. Well, I do think, yes, yes, it can be unhealthy. And um, at this point, well, there are two things. One is, I think that when we are not our best selves, when we do carry around extra weight or we or we don't get enough sleep or we have a rundown immune system, so we're, you know, always chronically ill, we don't show up in our lives for the people around us the way that we could. I know that with myself, when when I've gained a couple pounds and my pants are too tight, I'm crabby, I'm snappish, I don't want to go out to whatever social function my husband is dragging me to. <laughs> um, so, it, so it really does impact our relationships, which is why I think it's important. That being said, I, 
for me, again, it's really about, and what we eat is important. I, 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 on so many levels, um, nourish, to be able to nourish our bodies, but also when the choices we make are ones that are um, antithetical to global well-being. Um, and by that, I really mean the the huge amounts of animal products that we eat that that um, necessitate factory farming, which I think is just probably one of the worst things we've done in, in this century, or at least this half century since the end of the war. But that being said, I think for most people, in terms of um, the big picture and our, our growth and our spirituality and and our, our emotional health, the issue with weight and with food and with our health is what, as I said earlier, our why we're eating, not what we're eating. It's when we eat um, as an addiction. And I think that we as Americans numb ourselves constantly, whether it's with television or telephones or radios or... Blackberries. um, Blackberries, (laughs) food, cigarettes. It doesn't matter what it is, but when you turn to something to check out of experience, to not feel what you are feeling, those feelings, even if they're unpleasant, whether it's boredom, frustration, anger are signals. And when we are numbing ourselves and becoming dead to our lives, I think there's a real problem. And, and you know, there's always a physical manifestation of, of the non-physical, of the spiritual realm. And I do think that this obesity is, is a physical manifestation of the fact that we are, we are completely uh, sleepwalking. Right. We are. Well, luckily, some of those laws uh, regarding the farming industry are beginning to change. I think California is the first law, I mean, first state that's actually incorporating some laws where we can't have animals mass caged. Right. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully in the next decade, we'll see some profound changes and begin to respect our animal kingdom, um, which will help us, I think, respect ourselves as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. I, I don't know. think that the whole planet should be vegetarians. Right. But I do think that there is a way, and certainly the way our grandparents ate is a better for them for us is a better it's better for your body and better for the planet you know we don't need to have an animal product three meals a day seven right. days a week right um just right. if we ate more sparingly we wouldn't need these giant factory farms churning out all this product all the time right and we're not hard doing hard labor on farms like we used to no it's these so. giant machines it's, yeah. it's big business it's not right. family farms anymore right it's conglomerates like monsanto But we actually have callers um, because this is a call-in show and you've graciously agreed that you would love to listen to some questions and offer some advice. So we're going to go ahead and um, go ahead and go to the phone lines. And so, Eric, who do we have? Well, our first caller today is Alice calling from Maple Valley. Hi, Alice. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling um, for my daughter and she has this is um, a health issue. And this is um, what happens to her on the right side of her body, um, a few inches from her navel. Um, out of the clear blues, um, she gets, um, it's like a, she gets a poke. Um, it just sticks out, and she's in excruciating pain, mm-hmm. and it sticks out really bad. And what's frustrating is um, she's had numerous She's been tested for hernia. Um, I took her to the hospital for that, and um, they blew her up for that. And she said a CT scan, mm-hmm. she had a biopsy for cellular disease, mm-hmm. she had a colonoscopy. And this can happen when she's in a meeting, when she's just read 
frustrating because um, um, she has spent a lot of money that the insurance hasn't paid, and yet she doesn't have any answers. Right. Um, so, so, so um, I'm, I'm Alice, I'm going to just say a few things to Lisa. So, Lisa, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, you know, because I'm actually an intuitive, and I do lots of intuitive readings. But I also know you're a Reiki master and that you're very intuitive as well. In fact, your husband actually says you're a closet shaman. <laughs> so, so um, do you have any advice for you Alice's daughter? You know, I'll just daughter? say, and this is not even an intuitive thing. This is just from personal experience. And, and I do write about this in the book, so I'm not outing myself. Right. Um, and, and I cannot tell you how many people I know where this is the case, um, I would take her to an infectious disease expert who mm-hmm. knows about... Um, tra- how old is your daughter? She's 29. Does she tra- has she traveled? Um, she was in Mexico, but that was... Um, okay, so a- I would guess it's parasites. We, there is such an epidemic of parasite infestation in this country, and we don't think that we can get them because, heck, we're in America, we're so clean. I, I would say two-thirds of everyone I know has had some form of parasite, whether it is an amoebic parasite, which is what I had, or worms. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they, the symptoms are bizarre and far-ranging, but that would be my guess, especially when the regular doctors have no clue of what it is. Yeah, um, even, even though this has been going on like for five years. I had amoebic parasites for nine years. And they, mm-hmm. my only symptom was back pain and an elevated C-reactive protein, which is inflammation. Yeah, and she was getting, um, the other night, um, it was just protruding, hurting so much, she told me, and then she was getting really bad back pain. So ah. I, I, I would put money yeah. on it being parasites. Yeah. Okay, so she should see an, an internist? Um, an, an, an infectious disease doctor who specializes in tropical medicine. Okay. Wonderful. See, okay. I knew you could answer that question well. <laughs> Did you have something else that you were thinking? Oh, no, no, no. That's perfect. I thought that was beautiful. Uh, the only thing I was sensing was the relationship between you and your daughter. You know, how much you worry about her and stress about her okay, yeah. as, as if she's five, you know, and she's 29. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, I know she hasn't been feeling well and all parents, you know, loving, cherishing parents and whatnot, just adore their children and don't want them to be in pain. But I think that, you know, perhaps, you know, worrying less about her might help um, speed up the recovery process as well and make it even easier to find a physician who's able to diagnose her accurately. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good day. Okay. Thanks. You're welcome. So we're going to go ahead and go back to the phones. All right. Let's talk to Maya in Seattle. Hi, Maya. You you are live on the air here, and you are in. You can talk to Lisa here and ask her a question. Okay, thanks. Um, well, I had a question. I've had issues with my bladder for mm-hmm. on and off for maybe ten years. It's gotten a lot better, but probably about a year or two ago, um, if I wasn't, you know, drinking a gallon or more of water a day, I'd have a lot of pain, like a UTI. But it wasn't a UTI. And um, just a lot of sensitivity in that area, and I was wondering if you had any advice or if there's any any insight about it. So, so you get to be the doctor for the hour. I don't know if you knew that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? You may have a um, a subclinical UTI uh, where it's not it's not you're not having constant symptoms. Um, what I find to be very effective in that kind of situation is cranberry extract, and it's not ocean spray, you know, the sugary cranberry stuff, but real cranberry extract and just put it in a glass of water. Drink that every day, and that concentrates vitamin C. 
in the urine, and it actually keeps any kind of low-grade infection at bay. Uh-huh. Yeah, it works really great. In, in fact, in our area, it's called Just Cranberry. Uh, um, it's very bitter, so you can throw in a little packet of stevia if you want to, but it works miracles. Okay. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, you're, you're doing great here. <laughs> and energetically, the bladder is about frustration. So uh-huh. I, I would look at if you're easily frustrated in life, that could be irritating yeah. the lining of your bladder, which could make it more susceptible for bacteria. So I would, right. So is that true for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So here's a homework assignment that you might find fun. And what I would do or suggest is to lay down on a floor and act like you're two and throw a temper tantrum. Like maybe three times a week. Just kick and scream and uh, act like you're two. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Help get that frustration out of the bladder. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. And then we have another caller. We do have another caller. We've got uh, Anne calling from Issaquah right now. Hi, Anne. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. And your question is? My question is, um, I would like to know, um, hi, Lisa. Hi. (laughs) I would like to know um, who has had a strong influence on you and your own personal kind of philosophies and your spiritual development. I've actually heard you talk quite a lot. I've listened to the the show um, that was on the Oprah Network, so I've Ah. I've heard you and, and Dr. Oz talk a lot. Yeah. Um, dead or alive? <laughs> um, actually, both. Um, with the if, with those who are no longer walking the earth with us, um, Emanuel Swedenborg is probably the most influential in my life. Um, I was raised in a church that follows his writings. Um, they're uh, they look at the um, spiritual sense of the Bible. Um, rather than just taking it literally. So every, we believe that everything in the Bible has an um, internal meaning so that, and is relevant to us right now. So, for example, the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness is representative of our own periods of, um, of trial and frustration and loss, when we're lost. So mm-hmm. Manuel Swedenborg would be number one. Um, with the people who are still with us, um, there, Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan priest based out of um, New Mexico, is probably the wisest human being that I've ever encountered. It just has such a profound way of looking at, um, a, at relationship with the divine and, and getting in touch with our true self. But I would say those two people have had the biggest impact on my thoughts. And then my parents, obviously, as well. Um, because they, they, uh, they, they really they live what I what I write about. So that that would be I would cover it. Well, oh, cool! Thank you. Great Thank you. question. Thank you so much for calling in. That's a wonderful Thank question. You. Yeah, and and so one of the things that um, we're going to talk about too, besides the divine, is also sex because you have a really great um, entire chapter on sex. And I think the overall message, of course, is to choose, you know, healthy, loving sex partners, but to have sex. You know that and that's something that as a society, if we are having a lot of it, it may not be in the way that um, would be divinely energetic for us. And then there are many, many people not really engaged. Aging and intimacy and sex. Well, I think in our society, the, one of the interesting things is that you know there's a, this whole um, Gnostic principle as above, as, as so below, and and I do think that that within our societies, you'll see the same pattern repeating itself in different areas of life. So, 
if you look at what we've done to food, which is to completely strip taste from anything that it was accompanied by, which is its n- nutritional value and um, and its beauty and its and its life giving energy. Um, so now you have something like you know a, a cheese puff that tastes good, but is nothing else. We also have done that to our sexuality. So now you have internet porn, which you know looks good and is stimulating sexually for people, but there's nothing else that generally accompanies that eroticism. There's no connection. There's no intimacy. There's no um, there's no union with another person. So I, I think that we are we've become super saturated sexually, and and I think we use erotic the wrong way. I think the erotic is really that that yearning to connect with another person. So I think we have this the sexuality without eroticism. I think we have a a society where um, it, it's no longer about. And I don't think that sex is about necessarily about procreation. I really do think it's about union. I really do think it's about ultimately about growth and and uh, personal and as a couple and about. Um, going to places that you could never go as an individual. You know, sex is, has this really profound ability to transcend space and time and to take us outside of ourselves in a way that nothing else can. But we've lost all of that because it right. becomes all about just the mere act and the mere physical pleasure. It's all the orgasm. It's nothing else. Right. Wonderful. Well, we're going to come back and continue that conversation and others with Lisa Oz. We'll be right back. Become a Reiki master the weekend of September 10th, 11th, and 12th at the Redmond Town Center Marriott. This two-and-a-half-day transformative workshop is open to all levels of experience and will certify you in Reiki 1, 2, and 3. You will learn to move energy within the body by practicing on other workshop participants. Marie will be your instructor, guiding you with her own symbolic sight and providing knowledge of energy medicine. Take this opportunity to fulfill your dreams of becoming your very own certified Reiki master. You will receive attunements during deep meditation that will allow you to practice Reiki at the master level and information on the laws that govern professional practice in Washington State. Enrollment is limited. Please call 425-825-5671 or visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com for more details. The Gary Mance Show, it's the home of mastery and mystery. At 7 p.m., Kim Romaner discusses epigenetics, decoherence, and the inverse Zeno effect. What in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about the science of making things happen. Kim will tell us how to turn any possibility into reality. And at 8 o'clock, Thomas and Becky Rep reveal their favorite paranormal road trips. Ghosts, Bigfoot, or UFOs, they're all on the itinerary. The Gary Mance Show, Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Marie and astrologer Deborah Silverman will be conducting a weekend workshop July 10th and 11th. Come learn how elemental astrology and energy medicine can make transformational shifts in your life. This workshop is geared to creative, positive, revolutionary change to your lifestyle. Gain creative understanding of your life purpose, relationships, and health issues. Walk away from this workshop with a personal astrological chart and the necessary tools and insights to enhance key areas of your life. Join Marie and Deborah for an 
engaging weekend, Saturday, July 10th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Sunday, July 11th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Redmond Town Center Marriott. This is a workshop you don't want to miss. Seating is limited. To register or for more information, visit Marie's website at energyintuitive.com or call 425-825-5671. Like most people, you may be confused with all the conflicting information you hear about your health. So tune in Monday through Friday to the all-new Healthy You Radio Network. An hour a day, we'll keep the doctor away. Listen to radio that empowers you to heal you. Healthy You Radio with Keisha Ewers, ARNP, and friends. Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. Healthy You Radio Network. Bringing you the world's most innovative thinkers in the field of health and wellness. Click the show's page on 1150kknw.com for the scoop on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie. We're live here in Seattle with Lisa Oz, and we're talking about her wonderful new book, Us, Transforming Ourselves and the Relationships that Matter Most. And Lisa and her husband, Dr. Oz, will be here in Seattle on June 2nd. They will be honored at Bastyr University while they, re- while they receive honorary degrees from the university. So that's exciting. So if you want to see and meet Lisa and Dr. Oz, then you want to go to bastyruniversity.com and go to the event page and get your tickets for the evening event on the 2nd of June. So that's very exciting. And you've been to the Northwest before. I have. I was actually out there last year. Um, I spoke at Best Year. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, no, it was beautiful. It's just, I hadn't. I've been to Seattle a couple of times, but I had always stayed in the city. And I didn't realize how gorgeous the outlying area is. So, on a personal question, how do you manage having such a big life and meeting celebrities and being a celebrity, and then also doing all this inner work? How do you manage all that? You know, this celebrity thing is fairly new, and I'm not a celebrity. My husband is. But oh, I would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, this year is the first year he's had a show. Uh-huh. Um, so it hasn't become all-consuming yet. And, and and right now it's all work and no play. So everyone thinks, oh, this glamorous life, and actually it's a lot of work. And um, he comes home later than he did when he was doing surgery every day, and crashes. So it's not like it's, we're going out to parties with P. Diddy every night, <laughs> which would be fun. But no, it's it's really, our lives are so much like everybody else's lives. It's not even funny. And the thing is, the way you get stuff done is you have to not do other stuff. And everybody's got 24 hours in a day. What I do not do is watch TV. Mm. Um, so with like when a lot of people will turn on the television and watch like, you know, a drama and then, or comedy and then a drama and then the news, there's Two hours you've just wasted. Right. Um, so that I don't do. There's one television show I watch. 24. I, I 24. saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going off the air and I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I won't be able to get on the treadmill anymore. You're going to have to find some really cool new sci-fi thriller suspense uh, show. So they can get, well, you'll be on the treadmill anyway. You look absolutely gorgeous and stunning. Despite all the comments that you made in the book about eating and M&Ms and Snickers and Almond Joys and all of those delicious things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one of the exercises I loved in the chapter about sex was, um, it was the day two. So you've got it mapped out in today's, which is really great. So we can be organized and we know what, you know, how to, what to do next, so to speak, but about taking off all your clothes and sitting, facing each other, allowing only the bottoms of your feet to touch and allowing the union of the soul to come together. Well, you know, I did not make this up. This was actually something that I read 
years ago in Kurt Vonnegut Jr.'s book, Cat's Cradle, and I think they call it Bakumaru or something. I can never pronounce it. So he made up some weird word. But Mem and I tried it um, just because it sounded like fun. And it really is. It's an amazingly intimate position because it is, it's non-sexual but intensely erotic because you're not engaging in any sexual activity, but you're looking at each other. You're very vulnerable because you're naked. You're touching each other, but only through the bottom of the feet. And it's amazing how many um, nerves you have in your feet that you're not even aware of and how much you can sense the other people energetically through through their feet and your feet touching. Um, and, and then you see that you start to breathe in a certain rhythm, and, and of course you laugh at first, and you get through all those giggly, awkward but then it really is a very intense connection, and and it makes you get past that vulnerability where you don't feel safe, and helps you get to a place where you feel perfectly safe for the other person with the other person, which is what you need to do to have a really incredible sexual experience. Right, transcending all of the mundane things, so you can actually have a transformational experience making love. Right. Yeah, an incredible experience. Lovely. Really lovely. So, um, and then you have a, a nice chapter on family, by the way, and talking about the difficulties and, and the joys of having family and all kinds of family, in-laws, you know, our neighbors are our family. I know, yes, you wrote about in-laws, and my ex-in-laws are also Middle Eastern, so I, I could relate um, to the kind things that you said, actually. I mean, I thought you were very kind and subjective regarding what you said, um, and, and, but I loved what you said about the Buddha. What was that actual exercise about the Buddha, um, awakening the Buddha? Oh, yeah. This is something um, that my mom does. Uh, I don't know where she got it, um, but she's been doing this. It's an exercise where you imagine that the person that is offending you in whatever capacity is, I I don't remember what I named the exercise, the Buddha Buddha within or something, Um, but you imagine that they're doing it for your own good, it's it's because it's actually actually they've been charged with this with giving you this in your path of growth, and because everything really is an opportunity for growth. So rather than blaming them, to approach it with approach their behavior with gratitude, because they they it's not that they want to be obnoxious. <laughs> they just agreed. You know, I don't know. I I am not a big follower of those spiritual contracts. I know Carolyn Mace is a big mm-hmm. advocate of them, and and I have a very close friend who actually was the person who introduced me to Reiki, who is all about, you know, a, a spiritual contract before you're born. But the whole idea of, of signing on to serve each other in other ways, in different ways. And so m- the way that I, we do this exercise is to imagine that the person who's offending you is signed on to help you. And this is the thing that you need for your own spiritual growth. So just rather than being angry with them, to be appreciative. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic exercise, and, and I believe it is true. You know, I, I, what I sometimes think of is, you know, the reason why our families piss us off so quickly um, is because we've had so many lifetimes and we're still working on the same thing, you know, and so we're immediately irritated by them. But they are absolutely a blessing in our life trying to teach us something that our consciousness wants to avoid or push away at all costs, or so it, it seems. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. And, when it, you know, one of the things with that I talk about in the in the chapter on on marriage is this idea that our spouse is the person that does that the mm. most. Mm. Um, this presses all of our buttons. But again, you know, soulmates are not just people who 
are are the most fun. They're right. the people who enable our souls to grow. Um, so I do think that there's people who are in our lives um, and provide us with opportunities for insight, for greater insight in knowing who we are, um, greater capacity for compassion and forgiveness. I mean, even people who do things that are horrible to us do teach us the lessons of forgiveness mm-hmm. um, and and give us opportunities for growth. So I, I do think that, that the, those people closest to us allow us um, those opportunities all the time. Mm-hmm. And I loved your suggestions for family, you know, like having a, a bowling night, taking everybody out bowling, you know, really spending time with the family, not necessarily at home watching television, but doing an activity that everyone could enjoy and maybe something out of character so that everyone gets a little bit more freedom. You know, with our family, it's always hard because our kids are such different ages. Our oldest is 24 and our youngest is 10. And then we have two teenagers in between there. So it's hard to find, first of all, it's almost impossible to find a movie that everybody likes. Um, and, and since they've all been at different stages, it, it makes, forces me and Mehmet to be more creative, um, to think of things that we can do as a family. Bo- physical activities are always the best we found, whether it's bowling or going to the driving range and golfing, um, going hiking, just because everybody can, can participate when it's something like watching TV. You can't. You you don't even like the same television shows when you're that spread out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also love the idea about having the kids talk about their favorite holiday or birthday experience, bringing up old memories. I, I think really unites a family. Well, m- my kids, their favorite, favorite, favorite thing to do on like a rainy Saturday is to pull out the old videos of them as babies. Aww. And it's like, wasn't it cute? <laughs> cute. <laughs> they love that. And it, it is. It's a, re- it's a really good bonding opportunity. And just to see how much they were loved and are loved is, I think, really affirming for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and to, to see whether my youngest is 10, just for him to see his older sister when she was his age, wow. see how much they look alike. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really great family activity. Yeah, great bonding, great bonding. And then in your almost the last um, chapter in the book, you talk about God and our relationship to the divine and that it really is about a relationship, not a fearful, oh, I better not make a mistake. Oh my gosh, I hope I did this right type of relationship. But for you in particular, and I think it, that's true for many people who have decided to have a relationship, it's it's an inner dialogue. It's like a constant connection to someone or on and off again throughout one's day. Well, definitely for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, that is, I, you know, I, when I was younger, I would think I was must have been schizophrenic or something because <laughs> I had this ongoing dialogue all the time. And, it, and, you know, for some people it's just conscience, but I do think conscience is an extension of the divine and and... For me, it's, it all comes down to relationship, and I, I want to be in relationship with those I love. And I don't think that we can love the, the Creator or um, the, whatever you want to call God without being in relationship. You, when you're in relationship, you, it's, a, it's, a, it's mutual, it's give and take, you, it's not all one way. Um, you... Uh, you have have to spend time together. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have a relationship with someone that you never speak to. If you know, if my best right. friend were in China for ten years and we didn't speak once, we could still be best friends when we'd finally see each other in ten years. But it, but the relationship will have suffered. Right. I do think that 
that relationships, whether it's with um, family or spouse um, or coworkers or the divine, all of those relationships need our attention. They are, in order to grow, and I do think relationships should be living, um, growing, transforming entities because nothing stays static. In order for them to be growing, they need attention from us. They need our, our um, nurturing. They need um, they need to be a part of our our mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the relationship with creation or the divine, um, you also believe that it changes one's perception when they can slow down and have this connection. Well, you know, it 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 does take you out of the natural, the material, the everyday um, when. You can look at things from a different perspective when you see the big picture, when you feel connected to something bigger than you. When you're it, when when the entire universe revolves around you, um, it, it's hard to have real meaning. Mm-hmm. It's hard. The, the universe becomes incredibly small, petty, and limited to your own, inside your own head. Um, so I do think it shifts everything when you get outside of yourself when there's something bigger than you, when there's something higher, something more important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the exercises that I thought was excellent um, is to draw a picture of how you see God. You know, yeah, I mean, that's exciting because I think some people don't think about that or they only hold on to maybe older images from Sunday school in their mind versus how do they really experience God or what are their senses telling them about it? Well, with one of the purposes of the exercises in this chapter in particular um, was to encourage people really to, um, I don't want to say create your own religion, but to really um, become aware of what your religion was and what you actually believed and who you actually think God is and just to um, bring all of that stuff Things that we just sort of push into the background and and take for granted and don't really and you know don't pay any attention to since grammar school since you know we're in, right. in, in whatever religion you were brought up with just to you know think that you can check that off in your to do box and move on um, again I, I I think it's really valuable to question what exactly we believe um, not just say I believe whatever whatever religion you're saying that the Catholic Church says right. but to really know what what is important to you to mm-hmm. know what your values are mm-hmm. to know who you think God is and what your connection to God is. I, I, I really do think it's incumbent upon all of us to examine that part of our lives. Right. And make that independent decision for ourselves of what it means to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. if you don't know it, you can't really make a real decision. Right. You no, know, you can't. It's not a, it's a decision by default. It's not one of choice. And again, this is another theme that goes through the book, but it's all about choice. And it started, the choice has to start with honesty. And when you, when you are honest with yourself and you understand knowledge and honesty and then choice. You also um, shared a funny, I thought it was a funny story, I don't, I don't know if it's humorous for you or not, <laughs> uh, about a friend who um, perfu- you know, constantly states that he does not believe in God. Right. And, and it's almost like he's arguing with himself <laughs> or the universe that he doesn't believe in God and, and how you pointed out that that's a relationship too. 
It is. Yeah. It is. Because, it, you know, anything you spend that much time on, energetic, you're giving your energy to. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Um, did, did you talk to him about that? I was curious when I was reading that. Did you actually ask him or say, aren't you having a relationship with God with all your frustration? I don't think we would be friends if I said that. <laughs> it's something that's so, you know, he's so raw and yeah. so angry, and it's not my job. Um, right. If he reads my book and he sees that, maybe he'll get a little <laughs> glimpse of himself in there. Right. If not, that's, again, it's, I, in my my own personal journey and my spiritual growth is my business and everybody else's is their business. Right. And I would I, I hope that I can be helpful, but but again, it's, it's their choice and their, right. yeah. So in truth, um, whatever we're speaking about, whatever we're spending time with, whatever we're choosing to do, that is what we're relating with. And, you know, it's funny because Swedenborg, a person I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, says what you are, what you love. And I really do believe that because where we where we spend our time, what we put our attention on, um, what we do is who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for those people who are doing things that they don't love, that they don't like, that are driving them crazy, um, then, then maybe that's a sign that they're having problems relating with themselves. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Also, one of the questions or um, actually exercises you had in here, too, on the God sub- subject as well. And literally, the chapter says God. The other one says sex. <laughs> it's quite adorable. But about charting, you know, or making a note about those moments in your life where you felt God was with you or you were aligned or in connection with creation. Yeah, I just, I do think, again, it's about awareness. Um and understanding ourselves and, and how how we connect to everyone and everything. Um, but you can't do that. A lot of these exercises are just bringing our attention to things. So mm-hmm. where you are, where where your life was working, where your instinct, also where it wasn't. Where What was going on in those times when you felt disconnected? I mean, I've had plenty of those moments where mm-hmm. I wasn't engaged, where I was behaving selfishly, where I was totally materialistic. Um so I, th- I, but but being able to um, reflect, if, mm-hmm. if you can't see yourself doing it in the moment, I think it's useful at least to be able to look back and see um, how see how you were. Right. Oh no, I, I think that's actually I wasn't thinking. Although I like that idea of the times where you felt disconnected, because I think that's a great exercise too, a great reminder of what it feels like to be connected and what it feels like when we we aren't allowing ourselves to be connected. So I think that's a great idea. But I immediately thought of like when my children were born. You know, yeah. what, what a profound moment that was, many moons ago, right? But um, what a profound moment that is. And I think reflecting on those moments helps us again to reestablish that relationship. You know, the funny thing is, is when you consciously try to become aware of them, like the moment when your child is born or um, an incredible sunset, I mean, nature has a way of doing that for people, you know, just overwhelming us with profound beauty and order in the universe. Um, but when you when you consciously look for them, they're everywhere wow. in the most silly places that you would never think... It, you know, I, I I don't know if you remember the uh, I don't know if you remember the movie American Beauty, but um, the, mm-hmm. the the kid who appreciated the garbage bag floating down the street. <laughs> I mean, there is that kind that that it's the universe is such an amazing, incredible place that blows your mind, and and it's just waiting for you to open your eyes and see it. 
Mm-hmm. And and so and I agree. Those are there are many many moments in life. If you just take the moment, the opportunity to be present, then you can have that feeling. And and so also in the book you talk about our thoughts. You know that our thoughts, um, as it's a popular conversation today. You know throughout the world that our thoughts are also creating our our options and our choices, whether we realize them or not. Yes, um, and I, I do. Again, we think that our thoughts are are us and that, mm-hmm. that, and that we have no control over them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, I think that uh, some thoughts just pop into your head and, and you're, I, th- I don't think that you necessarily have to, you know, beat yourself up because you had a thought of, you know, like killing your in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> but no, not that I've ever had that thought. Right. Um, of course, of but, course not. But that, you know, that I, I, only take responsibility for that thought when I make it my own, when I dwell on it, when mm. I um, become, um, when when I when I um, embrace that thought, and and I do think that we we are our thoughts because our thoughts determine our actions, right. and underneath below our thoughts are our beliefs, and so I think that to really. If we want to shift our behavior, we need to look at our thoughts and see through those thoughts, find out what it is we believe, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the universe, what we believe about the people in our lives, and really become aware of what those underlying beliefs are. Because, And if they're not ones that are serving us, to shift those beliefs. And then our thoughts will change and then our behaviors will change. Oh, beautifully said. And I, again, love the book, Us, Transforming Ourselves and the Relationships That Matter Most by, of course, Lisa Oz. And so I know you're going to be in Seattle here in a few weeks. And any other fun, exciting things you've got on your plate these days or too many to count? (laughs) Um, I'm going to be in Seattle and Denver and Vegas and Chicago. So I'm looking forward to a bit of travel coming up. Ah, well, we wish you happy trails. Thank you. Great snacks <laughs> <laughs> and a good glass of wine now and then as you, you know, uh, share your wisdom and your insight and your fun, fun personality with all of us. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's just a pleasure having well, you here. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. We'll have a lovely uh, day in New Jersey. Thank you. And um, I look forward to seeing both of you speak in a few weeks here Great. in Seattle. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So uh, for all of you here still hanging out with the Marie Manu Cherry Show, I will be in Sun Valley, Idaho um, coming up. I'm actually leave tomorrow and I will be seeing clients and also teaching a class, Awakening Your Inner Wisdom. We're going to talk about guides and learn how to move inside and really connect to yourself so you can solve your own problems without calling a psychic or an intuitive or whatnot so that you can learn to feel comfortable with yourself and your own insights. And as so... Uh, I won't be here in the studio next week, but we'll have a wonderful repeat. Um, Mike Dooley, who wrote the book Infinite Possibilities, we're going to play his show again. That was a fun interview. He was a very interesting man. So take notes because that is a fabulous book. And again, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we wish you a wonderful day. Joyful blessings. Bye-bye. If you are interested in learning more about Marie and what is on her calendar, there are a variety of ways to find out. Become Marie's friend on Facebook. You can post a comment to her wall and search her page for upcoming events. 
Sign up for Marie's free newsletter. Each month, she writes an in-depth article and responds to Dear Marie questions. Email Marie if you'd like your question to be answered in an upcoming edition. Schedule a private session with Marie if you'd like to talk with her one-on-one. -on -one. It will be a healing experience that you will garner great insight from. For more information, visit Marie's website, www.energyintuitive.com, or call 425-825-5671. Views expressed on the